0: We're continuing in Mark this morning, um, and I wanted just to give you a, a reminder of the goal of the takeaway of the series, is, and the goal is this, is that every one of us would fall deeper in love with the person of Jesus, the servant Savior Jesus. And from this closeness, our desire will be to follow Him more intimately, to obey Him more earnestly, and to share Him more passionately. In the beginning, I read this quote from uh, Kent Hughes, one of the commentators that I've been using, and he said this, In our age of aggressive evil and apathetic faith, the Gospel of Mark resounds with dynamic power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In what is perhaps the most dramatic and action-packed of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark's writing continues to inspire increased commitment in the church at large. His portrayal of Jesus Christ as the Servant Savior takes on fresh relevance. And you and I have seen in our culture this aggressive evil, but we have also have to admit in our churches we've seen an apathetic faith. And Mark is a study that can help give us fresh relevance and courage to stand against both. Now last time we were in Mark, we ended up in chapter 3. We looked at the last five verses of chapter 3, 31 through 35, where we looked at God's family, Jesus' family, and also... His will for our lives. We realize that God's family is not biological, but it's uh, spiritual through relationships found in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only are we a family, Jesus also tells what the family is to do, and that is the will of God. Now, how can we know the will of God? And I gave us five kind of filters to look at last week. First is we must want to know and do all of God's will, not just pick and choose. The second is that we seek God's will in his word. We pay attention to what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing around us in our circumstances. We ask others who are godly and seeking the Lord to help us see it for ourselves. And then at some point, we just simply step out and trust God in faith. And it's then that we experience God's will and also his power and presence in our lives. And that's where we finished up last week. And this morning, we're going to start... In Mark chapter 4, where we hear and listen to Jesus tell a very familiar parable that most of us are familiar with. The title of the message this morning is Genuine Listeners. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to come, to be together, to set aside a time and day of the week where we can clearly focus on you, your word, your presence, your people, your kingdom. So God, this morning I pray that as we open your word, that you would speak to us and teach us in all wisdom and all truth. Give us clarity to hear from you and to respond. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you, behind you or beside you, that they would hear and respond to the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. And this is probably going to be one of the times where we read this big of a chunk of Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. And it's the parable of the sower and the soils. He, Jesus, began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat into the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching listen to this behold the sower went out to sow and as he was sowing some seed fell on the road and the birds came and ate it up other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil and after the sun had risen it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other, seed, other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they may return and be forgiven. Verse 13. "And And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How... Will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road, where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones who the whom the, sown, the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but only temporarily. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Now as we look at this chapter in chapter 4, we notice once more that Jesus is outdoors. Remember in Mark chapter 3 verse 9, he told the disciples to have a boat ready. Well now he is in the boat. The boat has been made ready. And in order to maintain probably some personal space and to speak to the large crowd, he sits in this boat and he teaches to this massive crowd. This is the eighth time in Mark that the crowd size is mentioned. And some commentators believe that this is probably the largest crowd yet. And we're told that Jesus taught them many things by parables. Now this is the first of Jesus' teaching of parables recorded of the gospel writers. The Gospel records actually some 60 different parables of Jesus, most of which are found in Matthew and Luke, fewer in Mark, and there's none in John. It's been estimated that Jesus' teachings are one-third of teachings and parables. Now, a parable has commonly been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what I learned growing up as a kid in Sunday school. The word parable means a placing of one thing alongside another thing and to view it in comparison. It's similar to the word parallel, which is what we get here, is a train track. Now, a train track has two parallel things, but what we want to do this morning is be the, have Jesus connect the train tracks, the cross ties. That's how Jesus taught in parables. Jesus gives us a parable of the sower and the soils in verses 1 through 9. And then he explains it in verses 13 through 20. So as we move forward this morning, I want to be clear about some definitions. Are you with me? Good. The seed in this passage is the Word of God. The seed is the truth of God. The seed is the gospel of Jesus. The people are the soil. But not just the people, it goes even more. It's the conditions of their hearts. In other words, it's also the response to the seed that was sown. There are four soils, four conditions of the heart, four responses to the gospel. There's the roadside soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil and we first want to look at the roadside soil. Verse 4 says this, As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 15 says, These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. Now, for context, the farmers in ancient Palestine were long, narrow, often winding strips divided by little paths, which became beaten down and hard because of of animals or because of people walking on them. And one method that a farmer would use is that they would sow seeds by having a sack of seeds on on their hip, and they would take a handful of seed as they walked, and they would scatter it like this. And as they scattered it, some seed fell on the road. Some of you have experienced this, maybe when you're putting fertilizer out in your yard and you're fertilizing and all of a sudden you end up with fertilizer all over your sidewalk. That's the picture we're looking for here. The farmer sowed the seed and the seed fell on the hard road. Now some commentators, just as a side note, talk about that this sower also is a picture of the generosity of God in the sense that they just sows freely. He just continues to sow the gospel freely to everyone. Now, another way the seed could have been sown, if you go back and look at uh, church history or Palestinian history, is that also uh, donkeys would have sacks of seed on them, and they would cut a little bit of a hole in the sack, and the donkeys, as they walked, seed would fall out uh, and, and put seed on the thing. And that's how seed could also get on the road. Now, just uh, for context, as Jesus is talking, it's quite possible. This this huge crowd's there. He's sitting in the boat. And as he's talking, he looks up and sees farmers doing exactly what he's talking about. And so he says there is a farmer who had seed. And you can almost see people in the crowd go, like that guy. And you can almost see the farmer up on the hill going, what are y'all looking at? Jesus is using context. It's a very common practice. But it was also an intentional practice. By definition, a farmer or a sower sowed seed. And to make the parallel, it's expected that a sower sows seed as a believer is expected to share Jesus. But they will probably never again... Look at that farmer and him sowing seed the same way again. There will always be this connection to the sower and themselves. So Jesus goes on to explain that as soon as the seed fell on the hard ground, birds took it away. Now verse 15 explains that the birds are Satan. That comes in and takes away the truth. There's many types of birds Satan will use anything to obstruct, hinder, or inhibit the Word of God penetrating the heart. And remember, hearing is connecting to the heart. Remember what Romans ten seventeen says. So faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. Just like the roadside soil, the hardened heart of the hearer does not allow the truth of God to penetrate the heart. There are people in this world maybe in our own worlds that we have day by day, that have never allowed the truth of God entry into their heart. They have a lack of interest. They don't care. They feel it's not for them. They say it's good for some people, but not really for them. Christianity and following Jesus fails to make an impact on some people, but not because they're hostile to it, but because they're unresponsive to it. G.K. Chesterton said this, It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it is that Christianity has been found difficult and left untried. Most of these folks that we think about this type of soil, or this type of response to God's word, the people think, well, it's irrelevant to my life. Therefore, it's not needed in my life. I can get along just fine without it. That their truth, their truth, is the only truth that really matters. And they may not say it out loud, but that's how their lives are lived. That is, until circumstances and tragedy and trials and tears enter in their lives. Or their truth fails them. Pain, unanswered questions, the loss of loved ones are things that God can use to till up the soil of a hardened heart so that the word of God can be received. One author said it is in tragedies, pains, disappointments, and failures of life that many find the truth of Christ and claims of Christianity real and needed. But I want to make a quick point about this soil. In most evangelical circles, this soil commonly is described as the unbeliever in the arena of evangelism or sharing Christ, and it's certainly appropriate there. However, there's another application, an appropriate application, and that it can be made to the believer as well, that has hardened their hearts to the truth of God in their own lives. You and I have areas of our lives That God has given us a clear word of truth. There has a a seed has been sown that has yet to penetrate our heart. And we continue with a lack of interest, a clinging to our own truth, a thinking that that's, that's good for them, but it doesn't necessarily have to apply to me. Jesus' truth can quickly can be quickly snatched up by Satan by words of doubt, fear, and pride. And you and I have experienced it as well. When we see that God's word and his truth has been sown, and somebody rejects it with a hardened heart, it breaks our own heart. That's the first soil that Jesus describes. The second soil that Jesus gives us is the rocky soil. Verse 5 says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth. Verse 16, he explains it. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom a seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary then. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, remember in Palestine... The whole area is covered by rocks. There may be a two- or three-inch veneer of soil on top, but underneath it's just pure, hard limestone bedrock. And here's some seed falls, and it has a little bit of root, just a little bit of surface, and it, it springs up. But then the sun beats down, the plant's root meet the bedrock underneath, and it withers and dies. There's not enough room for it to grow. The roots are not able to get enough nourishment or moisture, and the heat of the day would wither the sprouting seed. Now, verse 16 says that this type of soil or heart receives the seed and the truth of God with joy. They desire the message. They want it. It sounds great. It's wonderful. However, they realize after just a little bit that following Jesus is tough. They're attracted to the wonders of Christ, but not the work involved in following Christ. And so the seed never gets past the surface. Other things take precedence. The truth of God doesn't impact their heart and therefore never motivates the soul. I'm convinced, in my own life I've experienced this, that the roots of truth, the roots of the gospel come through obedience to that truth. When there is some sacrifice, when there is some surrender, when there is some selflessness, particularly in the anti-me scenarios, when faith and obedience wins over feelings and genuine experiences of God, His presence and power are experienced. James 1.22 said this, Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And Jesus says in verse 17 that because the truth has not taken root, there's not been obedience, the truth will only last for a short time. The truth never penetrates the inner life and therefore never affects the outer life. Now I'm just going to say I think the church in America right now needs to be careful that we're not described as the rocky soil. And by that I mean this. In talking to other pastors and reading different articles, it seems that the church could be labeled or described as rocky soil in this sense. Because church experiences have have been narrowed down to more church entertainment. Or a commodity that they can critique, choose to consume or not, or try to control. In other words, church can become more about them than it is about God. And the mentality of church, one article said, is that it can become like a buffet. That we come to church and say, "Mm, I'll have a little bit of singing. I'll have just a touch of the children's ministry. Mm, I'm going to stay away from that missions thing. And we come to church with this mentality that it's a buffet that we can get to pick and choose the truth of God in our lives. And when areas don't satisfy us, we push it aside, we try something else, or we leave the church altogether. The rocky soil has no depth, nothing that anchors the truth. And notice Jesus says this in verse 17, it's when affliction and persecution comes that reveals that. Our confession of Christ, our obedience to Christ, will never go untested in our culture. Our confession of Christ, our obedience to Christ, will never go untested in our culture. Genuine loyalty to Christ's truth, His work, and to the people He loves will always be in conflict with our comfort and our culture. Therefore, we have to be rooted. The third type of soil is the thorny soil. Verse 7 says this, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And others are the ones, verse 18 explains it, are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who've heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter and choke the world, and it becomes fruitful. It's springtime. How many of you are, like, doing flower beds now? I know Lowe's and Home Depot have been packed in the garden center. How many of you have weeds in your flower gardens? How many of you got notices from your POA that you have weeds that you... Just me? Okay, just me. Weeds are a pain to deal with. Some are really hard to get rid of. I don't know about you, but just to satisfy the POA sometimes, I'll just take a weed eater and weed eat all the tops of the weeds. But you know what happens. It looks good for a minute, but the roots are still there. And it doesn't take too long before it's just right back to what it looked like before. Things on the surface look good. The field, like my flower bed, they would look clean and good to go. But in due time, a farmer if he did this, would have the same problem. And Jesus, Jesus used this great illustration about thorns and the soil. And he says this, Our personal interests and desires, and the interest and desires of Christ, cannot live and grow together. They have a divided heart. The soil can't be used for both things. Like it's described in Matthew six twenty four or the conflict of the spirit and the flesh in Galatians five. Matthew six twenty four says this: No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Galatians five sixteen and seventeen says this: So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the spirit, the sinful nature desires. These two forces, verse 17, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It is so easy. For me to pack my life full of interest for my own, that I lose interest of Jesus. The more our lives are cluttered with things and stuff, busyness, fast-paced, the more we need to order our priorities. And that's what this soil and priority is all about. Now, in verse 19, if you'll notice, Jesus gives three thorns or weeds that choke out the truth of God. And the first one is this, the worries of the world. If you pause just for a second and flip on any channel, go to any website, our world is full of and creating more and more of worry for our generation. The rates of anxiety and depression are through the roof. There is more worry and fear and suspicion and doubt than ever before in our culture. And I'm not just talking about folks out there. I'm talking about folks in here as well. Jesus, more literally in this passage, is talking about the distractions of our worlds. I read a quote this week. I can't find the person who said it, but I read it said this. Worry is the evidence of a distraction from the loving sovereignty of God. Worry is the evidence of a distraction from the loving sovereignty of God. Worry causes fear. Fear causes doubt. Doubt leads to a lack of confidence. And a lack of confidence eventually leads to withdrawal and isolation. I've seen this progression in my own life. Worry is a choking experience. Distractions and worry leaves us unbalanced with one eye fixed on Jesus and one eye fixed on our circumstances. And we have good seed and thorns in the same soil. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6, to combat worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's a great place for an amen, if you want to throw one in there. (laughs) And and just stop and think about this for a second. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was sitting in a boat talking about worry to people on a shore. And it's just as relevant today. The second thorn, Jesus says, comes in the deceitfulness deceitfulness of riches. Now, if there's not enough talk about worry, there's there's more talk about money right now, right? If you look on the news, you listen to conversations around you, uh, more than half of it's about money, inflation, gas prices, The housing market, rental market, car prices, grocery prices, stocks, retirement, government spending, school and college costs, salaries, and on and on and on. We are bombarded with the thoughts of money. And wealth and money can sometimes present themselves as a cure-all. And we find ourselves saying, well, if I have more money... Or if I was able to make this much, I would be set. Or or if these prices would do this or do that, then I would have it better. But Jesus reminds us that the promises made to us by wealth are deceptive. It can be a thorn. The pursuit of wealth can blind us and choke us of what really matters if we're not careful. Remember, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the pursuit of money that Jesus talks about as the root of all evil. Jesus is telling his disciples and those who have ears to hear that there are thorns and deceit in the, pursuit of riches, in the pursuit of riches. The third thorn he talks about, he says, is there's a desire for other things. In this language, Jesus is just kind of using a comprehensive word that there are other things that eventually choke us out. Cravings that include things like our senses, our feelings, things to make us feel good, to make us comfortable, to give us pleasure. Not that pleasure is bad, but the pursuit of only pleasure and avoiding the feeling of bad chokes. Our craving to make things easier, less sacrificing, and those cravings that give us the best opportunity to be greedy and lazy. These three words, worry, deceit of riches, and the pursuit of other things, can choke life right out of us. But here's the thing. These thorns, they're subtle. The culture, the world, the thorns out there are not going to be on this neon sign saying, Hey, be careful of this thorn. Because I'll take you right away from Jesus. You're not going to see that. I think it was in the 90s where there was a song that said, Every rose has its thorn. Some of you my age can remember that song. We have rose bushes at our house. Beautiful. Has thorns. We have an awesome lemon tree. Smells great. Produces hundreds of lemons. You know what it has? Thorns. Thorns have a way of surprising you with how sharp they are and how painful they can be. I remember many years ago, my two sons, Rivers and Wells, were playing at Jarvis Park, playing the ball, playing with the Frisbee, and the Frisbee or ball goes into the woods, and Rivers runs into the woods to get it. And he takes about two steps in, and then he just freezes. And he starts kind of saying, Daddy, need some help here. So I went over there to look, and what do you think he was in? Thorns. He had those little briar things wrapped all around his leg. He had it wrapped around his arm, and he was stuck. He didn't go very far into the woods either. About two feet in. (coughs) Couldn't move. And if he did try to move, it was like the thorns would press into him further. So he was just kind of stuck. Ever been there? And unless he got some help, he was going to be stuck longer and probably make things worse. And he called for me because he realized he couldn't do it on his own. Satan does the same thing to our spiritual lives. Subtle yet piercing thorns that will choke us and immobilize us. So we need help seeing and getting out of the thorns too. These thorns, Jesus says, immobilize immobilize us and cause us, verse 19, to be unfruitful. All believers born again here this morning, you're born again to be fruitful. Let me ask you this morning, what is choking your spiritual life in such a way that your priority of loving, serving, and sharing Christ is? has taken a back seat or slipped in purpose. What are you worrying about? Has there been in your life this deceit of riches? Is there something else that's choking out your pursuit of Jesus? I believe God wants to do some real weeding this morning. Not not what I do. Not the weed eater type surface stuff. Question is, will we let him? I want to close with the good soil. Other seed fell into good soil, and they grew up and increased and yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Some of you here are sitting thinking, one, finally, he's going to talk about me now. <laughs> I think there's three basic responses for the good soil. The first one is this. We must hear the word. Remember, Jesus starts this parable and ends the parable with this idea of listening. Did a devotion with the staff this past week. And I'd like for you to try this exercise in your own home with your wife, with your husband, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your life group maybe. And ask these questions What does it mean to really listen? What makes a good listener? What keeps people, including myself, from listening to other people? Is it busyness? Am I just not interested? More interested in myself than I am in you? What keeps me from being a good listener? Would people say about you that I am a really good listener? How do you know? And of course, we bring the de- we brought the devotion down to the real question is how do you listen to God? How well Do you listen to God? Do you believe that God listens to you? When's the last time you really listened to each other? Isaiah 55, 2 and 3 says this Listen to me, says God, and you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. Verse 3 and verse 9 both say that we must listen, and if we have ears to hear, let us hear. Very simply put, we cannot hear the word of truth of God unless we listen. How many times do you catch yourself during the day so busy talking that you never have time to listen? The other question I want to ask you this morning is, who are you listening to? What voices are loudest in your head that have the most impact and influence in your life? Do we slow down long enough to consider, to know what voice is motivating us? Is it a voice of fear? Is it a voice of shame? A voice of protection? A voice of acceptance? A voice of approval? What voices are we listening to? We must discern discern the voice and word of God over all the other voices in our culture and our world, even the voices in our own head, to be still and quiet and let Jesus speak. One author said this, true silence with Jesus is always louder than the noise. But not only do we hear, we also must receive. Do, Do you remember as a kid growing up, when you get sick and you have to take this terrible-tasting medicine. I've talked to some of you mature folks in the room, and you've told me about some concoctions that y'all took when y'all were kids growing up, and it just was sounded terrible. But you knew you had to take it if you're going to get any better. And sometimes we have to accept the unpleasantness of the medicine if we want to experience the healing that comes. Verse 20 says that good soil response is accepting the truth of God, agreeing with what God says about you. Sometimes it hurts, and it's uncomfortable (coughs) to receive biblical truth, but Jesus is letting us know that accepting and receiving this truth proves that our hearts are open and willing to be productive for his kingdom. And the third evidence of good soil, after hearing and receiving, is you put it into action. Verse 20 says that the good soil, the open and willing heart, will bear fruit 30, 60, or even 100 times. It's amazing to me what God can do with a life. What he can do with this little boy who had a couple fish and some loaves of bread. That he promises us that he can do the same through you and through me. I want to close with this. These soils reveal conditions of our heart by the response that we have to God's truth. And I want to make something clear. Only you and Jesus get to determine the state and condition of your heart. You can't make the soil of your heart good on your own. It's something that God does when you ask. So there's a balance. There's a partnership with the Spirit. Seeking God's truth takes energy and focus and it takes a willingness to be challenged and changed. It's a balance with God. It's a a relationship with God. Summer officially kicks off this weekend and I know that some of you are going to start working on your tan. And I think working on your tan is a great illustration about what I'm talking about. Have you ever thought about that phrase work on your tan. Some would argue that it is work. I mean, you got to get a chair, you got to go outside, then you got to angle it. Well, my wife will go to the beach or the pool, and I'll sit down in the chair. And as soon as I get there, she's picked the chair up and angled it a certain way just to make sure. got to put on the sand, tan, oil stuff. I mean, there's work involved. I mean, you're not going to get a tan sitting inside. But really, after you do all that, what work is there? It's really just submitting to what the sun does to you, right? I think this illustrates our desire to be changed and used of God. We do have to position ourselves in a way where we receive the truth of God. And then we allow the truth of God to do what only the truth of God can do. As I close this morning, I just want you to reach up and grab these things on the side of your head. Everybody have one? Hopefully two. Some of you actually have stuff inside of those that actually help. Jesus says, those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. Which type of soil represents your heart? Is it the roadside soil? Is it the rocky soil? The thorny soil? Or the good soil? Placing yourself in the best position for God to do only what God to do. Let me pray for us. I thank you for your word in Psalm 51 that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. God, we pray, create good soil within me. God, we pray this morning that you would forgive us for being the hard soil. God, I pray that you would forgive us for being the rocky soil. God, I pray that you would help us see the thorns and weeds in our life that keep us from producing fruit. God, create in us good soil so that we can be in partnership with you to see fruit in our own lives that impacts others. And we trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen.